This is the Nostalgic Future Podcast, where the past is the only way forward. We're two guys in our 40s watching the world pass us by, and we know the only way we'll ever be relevant again is to somehow convince everyone to be as passionate as we are about our pop culture obsessions. We are your hosts, Joe Cook and Chris Marchand, and today is our first Weird Al Yankovic episode, The Music. Well, welcome, everybody. We are so excited for today's episode. We don't know if this seems out of left field or if, you know what, this is pretty much in keeping with a pop culture nostalgia podcast, because how much more rooted in our childhoods, Joe, can you and I come than Weird Al? Weird Al Yankovic, right? He's a legend. He's a comedic legend. And so that's that. That's what the next two episodes are going to be. This is part one is going to be about his music and about an experience that I had. I got to see him in concert a couple of weeks ago, and I just wanted to share about it. And this gave us a good opportunity to be able to discuss him and his music. And then episode two will be on his film, The Weird Owl Story. What is it called? Weird, right? <laughs> Weird, the Owl Yankovic story, but also his other you know, films and, and, and TV appearances over the years. We're going to highlight into that. So, Joe, tell me, how excited are you to talk about Weird Owl today? Oh, I, I couldn't be more excited. I'm I'm really, I'm eager to hear uh, your experience because this this was your first time ever seeing Al, right? Yeah, that's correct. You know, like you, you've been to more concerts over the years than I have. You know, I think you've seen Paul McCartney 52 times or something like that. And, <laughs> and for me, I'm a little, I'm a little more spread out. So this was a big deal to me. Like, you know, I, I, I'll be honest. I had a bit of a Beatles moment when he came on stage, like, I went with my mother-in-law and uh, she was very gracious to be able to provide the tickets for me. But when he came on stage, like I, I started to cry a little bit. I just couldn't believe it. Like I just couldn't believe there he was. I was seven rows back. So I was pretty decently close, not mega close, but it was, I, I had a little bit, a bit of a Beatles moment. I could, I could have had an Ed Sullivan theater meltdown right then and there, <laughs> you know, Shea stadium tearing my clothes off. <laughs> <laughs> I remember years ago, uh, hearing Billy Joel talk about uh, when he met Ray Charles for the first time. And he said, Ray Charles came walking through the door and he said it, it was, it was like the Washington monument came walking through the door. Was, was that what it was like when, when Al exactly. walked out on stage? Cause he's so iconic. Yeah. It's like, there he is him and his hair, right? It's like him and his shirt, whatever it is, like the whole, the whole presence of Al was there and I could, I could feel it, Joe. Well, you know, speaking of Billy Joel, we've talked so much about Billy Joel on this show, and I, I don't remember if I've mentioned this before, but I think I have. That Billy Joel and Elton John was my the first concert I ever went to when I was 13 years old. Chris, did you know my second concert ever was Weird Al Yankovic? And actually, that's, also, that's amazing. also my third concert ever. <laughs> <laughs> what era was that in then? I saw him twice on his Bad Hair Tour, so 1996. You saw him twice on the same tour. So what what led you to be so devoted that you would be like, listen, I'm going to go again? Because that's rare to do something unless you have the means, right? You know, it's an interesting story. I'll tell you what happened. And it's funny because, you know, like like all kids, uh, you know, in the in the 80s and 90s, you grew up and Weird Al was just like kind of a part of all of our childhoods at some point, I think, you know, to varying levels. And, and it was funny. You were talking about how um, uh, I think which record did you say was off the deep end was a huge one for you? That's the record for me. And I actually have, I have, a, I have some thoughts about that, like in terms of like fandom of Weird Al, but that was the sweet spot. That was the moment. And so guess what? Before that, I wasn't really that familiar. And then after that, I just, you know, I went other directions. Like I got into Radiohead, right? You know, you yeah. know what I mean? Like 
So I wasn't like delving deep into Weird Al, but but guess what? Always like this deep spot in my heart for him at, at all times, right? So I, I got into Al around the same time. So I'm thinking this is like 92, 93. What happened was uh, in 96, I like, I don't know, I saw an advertisement or something that Weird Al was coming to the Valley Forge Music Fair, Valley Forge, Pennsylvania. And I, I got to be honest with you, I don't know why this never occurred to me before, but it was like it was like this little light bulb going off in my 15 year old head going, wait a minute, you're telling me Weird Al does concerts? Like I, it never even occurred to me before that, of course, this guy's a musician. He goes out and he plays live. He does. He tours these albums. But to me, he had just always been such a like a novelty act. I never really imagined that he took that show on the road. Well, like that was just like to me, like a, a mind blowing thing. I was like, oh, my gosh, I have to see Weird Al Yankovic. And then what happened was uh, my mom used to be an art teacher and she had an art student. And when somehow we were talking about it, this art student of hers turned out to be a Weird Al fan, too. So we ended up doing is we talked our moms into taking us to go see Weird Al. And that was in May of 96, like just a little over two months later, I saw him again. And I'll tell you why, because it's almost inconceivable that my parents would take me to see somebody again so soon after that. But we had such a great time that my mom loved the concert. Like she absolutely loved it. And my cousin, Anthony, was staying with us that summer for a few weeks. And it was in August. And I saw that Weird Al was going to be at the Wildwood, New Jersey Convention Center. And he hadn't seen him. So I talked my parents into taking me and my cousin down to see Weird Al in in, uh, in Wildwood. So anyway, so that's how I ended up seeing Weird Al twice within a couple months uh, in 1996. Great concert both times. I mean, it was, I mean, just... Uh, pretty much the same show both times. I think he, he maybe there were one or two song changes, but pretty much the exact same show. I'll tell you what was, it was a really different crowd, though, from Valley Forge Music Fair, which is no longer there. It was like a real kind of family venue. Wildwood was a much rowdier audience. And I'll tell you what happened there. We had an opening, uh, there was an opening act at both shows. And it was a guy named Big Daddy Graham, who was a local Philadelphia comedian. He was he was on he was on the radio. Um, uh, anybody listening to us in the Philadelphia area would probably know that the uh, the the station six ten WIP was a really really big sports station in Philly. Still there, and Big Daddy Graham was a he was a you know one of the broadcasters on the station, but he was also a comedian, and he was the opening act. And in Valley Forge, it went great. Something happened <laughs> to this day. It is still the only time I've ever went to a show and saw somebody mercilessly booed. I mean, it was brutal. I mean, just brutal. And to his credit, they did not boo him off the stage. He stayed till the end. But you, you I, I don't think, I mean, there wasn't one laugh the entire thing. It was just angry, loud boos. The entire time. And it was the same set that he did in Valley Forge. Wait, 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 wait. So so do you, do you have any conception of why that happened? Is it just these are mean people? You know, these are the bad people? I think it was a crowd of rowdier, mostly younger 
people where it was more families at the Valley Forge show. It was a lot of teenagers and maybe 20 somethings. And they just, they weren't interested in the opening act. Now I will tell you, I do remember him. And now in fairness, he was already being booed. I think in an attempt. What? What? Oh, I have, I, I, to this day, I have no idea why, because his set went over really well two months earlier. Yeah. yeah. But now I will say, I think in an attempt to try to win the audience over, he attempted to go blue. This was like, this was like a, he was pivoting. This was mid set. So he was already being booed. (laughs) And I remember him telling one or two pretty dirty jokes. And then the, uh, the crowd got even worse. It was just, it it was, it was, it was, it was brutal. Uh, To this day, it's, it's, it's one of the most painful things I've, I've ever seen on stage. Yeah, I, I I always wanted to meet Big Daddy Graham and ask him about that. He's he's actually I I, I he passed away a few years ago, so I'll, I'll never have that chance. But yeah, it was it was rough. That's that's my biggest memory of the, of the Wildwood show is seeing the opening act just get destroyed. Who was the opening act? His name was Big Daddy Graham. He was a, he was a broadcaster and a comedian from Philadelphia. Oh yeah. my goodness! Yeah. <laughs> okay. So, so then they were they were kinder when Al came on. Is that correct? Oh, they oh yeah they they worshipped the ground Al walked on. <laughs> okay, you know opening acts that's a tough thing. That's a tough. I don't know. I don't know what to do about opening acts. And like right now, there's um like there's gonna be a, a tour with Taylor Swift and one of my favorite bands, uh, Paramore, and that's like two powerhouses, right? But but Taylor Swift is gargantuan, right? She is she is like you know. Uh, one of the more famous people of our modern age, whereas Paramore is just a really big band. And it's interesting to think of them as a, as an opening act, which they're not really They're you know, they're a headliner, but yeah, uh, I, it's always a hard place. I, I saw Beck open for you two once. And it's like, Beck that's, is a, that's weird, right? He, he's a headliner. And this was only, I mean, this is like five years ago. So Beck was well into being a headliner, but then he, he showed up yeah. opening for you too. I will tell you, uh, you mentioned me going to see Paul McCartney. It's it only six times. It's a bit of an exaggeration. <laughs> but uh, yeah. Paul never has an opening act. But one time I went and saw him at City Field in New York City or in Queens. And he had an opening act there. It was. Uh, do you remember a band called, I think it was The Script? They had like a, a one or two hits. No. This is like in the late okay. 2000s. I'm still alive, but I'm barely breathing. Just praying to a God that I don't believe in. Cause I got time while she got freedom. Cause when a heart breaks, no, I don't break even. Man, I've never seen 70,000 people less interested in a band in my entire life. It was it was just a weird pairing, but but they didn't boo. Uh, to their credit, you know, this this is a this was a crowd of of polite boomers. Nobody nobody booed. But there you uh, go. <laughs> well, speaking of seeing a band multiple times, here's my question. Do you want to talk about my concert experience first or do you want to talk about Weird Al's music first? I'm itching to hear about your experience because you also not to you know, give any spoilers. You got to spend a little time with the man. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll get into that. I'll, I'll, I'll let everybody know how that all happened. You know, let me say this as, as a precursor to this. Yeah, I saw Weird Al. It was, it was glorious. It was brilliant. Again, I'll thank my my mother-in-law, Bev. She paid for us to have VIP tickets, and so they were in like row G, whatever that was. There was like a little pit at the very front, but then we were like seven rows back. So, I mean, we were pretty decently close. And then afterwards, she paid for us 
to meet Al briefly. You get a picture with him. And then later, it, it's two rounds. You get a picture round, and then you come back again, and you get an autographed round. And here's what I found out, Joe. You know, like, like I guess maybe here's my first point of the day. Fandom, being a fan, is really certainly interesting, right? So if you were to ask me five years ago, 10, 15, 20, are you a fan of Weird Al? I would have always said yes. But when I got to this concert, I realized, oh, I'm a pretty casual fan. And again, that doesn't mean I'm any less of a fan, you know, in the sense of like what fandom means, but in terms of commitment, in terms of knowledge and devotion, like I go, oh, oh, you know, I'm just on the, uh, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm on the very surface of this here. Like, you know, I met people that had gone seven, 10 times uh, to Weird Al concerts. I met people that kind of knew, like, like one of the things that happened beforehand was uh, we played Owl Jeopardy, Weird Al Jeopardy, which I think is a thing that they do. They even have a stage show. They bring it a, a, a along with them and they have kind of these uh, handmade, uh, you know, Jeopardy categories and, and they have a little podium and, and you know, they have, they have this guy, this, uh, I don't know, I think he's like a performer, producer, kind of a comedian. He came out beforehand and he was the Alex Trebek of the whole thing. Well, I signed up to play Jeopardy and I'm honestly, I'm thankful I didn't make it up there because I would have been put to shame. A couple of the people that were up there, they just, they did really, really well. So they, they just know their stuff. So I just think that's funny. Like, Joe, let me ask you this question. If somebody were to ask you, is Chris a bigger fan of Sufjan or Weird Al? What would you say? Oh, Sufjan hands, Stevens or Weird yeah, Al? Hands down, Sufjan. Right. So I would probably be able to tell you, I mean, I wouldn't get things perfect, but I can talk about Sufjan Stevens' albums and what's on what and maybe not get track listings perfectly. But boy, I can tell you some things. You're a Sufjan apologist. You... You, uh, you yeah. got, you, uh, you convinced me to buy Carrie and Lowell, which is the saddest album I've ever heard in my life to this day, <laughs> which I, I loved it by the way. But like, every time I look at it, I go, <laughs> no, I don't want to listen to it today. It's just going to bring me down. Carrie and Lowell. That's right. Spirit of my silence. I can hear you, but I'm afraid to be near you. And I don't know where to begin. is the album that you're in the deepest dark pits of hell but then this angel comes and carries you away and you just cry for another couple of hours that's all you know it's like you're just crying in the arms of an angel that's what it is <laughs> right so i'm a sufyan apologist i even own like sufyan like uh, singles on vinyl right I, I i have like four or five of them you know i don't have everything sorry i don't have everything but i've got a decent amount of sufyan uh, vinyl in that way whereas for weird al like just love and devotion Right. So actually, this leads me to my next thing, Joe. I have two things to admit about my own fandom. That's that's what my precursor about this is. Two things to admit about my own fandom. Number one, Joe, have you ever bought Weird Al's music? Like, do you have physical copies of it? Uh, I have not bought his music since I was a kid. Like, so I, okay. I I've never had all of Weird Al's albums. I had to. I think I had both of his greatest hits albums. I had Bad Hair Day. I had I had a handful of his records. Well, okay. So, so here's what my point is: is you know, for any true Weird Al fan listening right now, I'm going to say something that you might call me a Weird Al heretic. You might excommunicate me from my Weird Al fandom. I've never purchased until a couple of weeks ago a Weird Al album. Never. So 
Off the Deep End is my favorite album. Do you know what happened? My good friend, Jason Vineco, <laughs> he was my tennis partner in high school. Him and I went to the state tennis tournament for the state of Illinois. It was brilliant, right? He was a good friend and uh, haven't really seen him much in the last couple of decades, but he was a great guy, a great friend. And he let me borrow Weird Al's Off the Deep End. I dubbed it. And then I guess what? I had my my tape for all these years, my Memorex <laughs> Weird Al dubbed <laughs> off the deep end tape. And so I never bought it. I never actually purchased that album. And here's the thing is, do you think, here's my question for you. When it comes to being a fan of, of comedy music, parody music, do you think there are some people that have a little bit of, a little bit of shame, like thinking like, ah, you know, it's just Weird Al. It's not real music. It's there's a little bit of shame involved. Like, I don't want to be seen with this because I think I can admit a little bit of that to me. I chose to purchase other things, right? You know, because I, you know, the real music, the serious music. And because of that, I, I have to admit, like, I am now ashamed of my shame. It's like, oh, come on. I, sh I just should have, I just should have saved up, asked, you know, got his albums properly. But instead, it's kind of like there's a little bit of a, a stigma attached to his style, don't you think? Um, I think so. And I, I also think, too, that Weird Al is one of those artists where, and I call him an artist. He is a true artist. I and mean, he's actually a brilliant a songwriter. I've come to really realize this. I've come to. So, yeah, yes to that. Absolutely. And, and, and we, we're talking, yeah. you know, everybody talks about his parodies. Weird Al's original songs are phenomenal. By the way, that's what his tour was about. That, and that's what I went and saw. Um, other than like Amish Paradise and maybe a couple other short brief things that he he did this long medley at the very end. It was all originals and it was brilliant. I I mean, it was I was I was enraptured the whole time. Interesting. This is a very different tour for us, obviously. I don't think I was aware of this. Uh, I mean, we made no secret of it. Uh, I don't know. I had interviews and advertising and publicity and uh, I mean, even the name of the tour should have given you a clue. Um, but there are still some people, and there's always like one or two people every show, no matter how much we promote what kind of tour this is, there's always somebody that's disappointed we didn't do Eat It or Like a Surgeon or something. And uh, let, me, let me just say right off the top, tonight we're going to play a bunch of extremely unpopular songs. <laughs> thought about that and it kind of goes to what i was getting at and that is you know weird al is one of those artists where you know you have a, like an appreciation for him at a certain point in your life and i.e when you're a kid weird al really works when you're a kid when you get you know into your teenage years like you know i saw him a couple times in 96 it was hilarious it was awesome i loved it yeah, but by the next year i had lost interest you know and i was you know, buying Beatles records and Paul Simon albums and still not buying anything contemporary. <laughs> but, um, you know, but sure. I was I was getting into more mature music. Right. Um, and then what happens is you get into adulthood and then another 10 years goes by and you start getting nostalgic for the stuff you grew up with. And, and this and, and Weird Al has like this second life, I think when you get older like i have almost as much appreciation for al now as i did when i was a kid but didn't hardly think about him at all in those middle years which is why i think his tour that you know he's on right now is so brilliant because when you're a kid the parody thing is great the older i get the much more i appreciate those like the deep tracks you know you know everything you know is wrong i remember larry melanie uh albuquerque you know these these really crazy out there original songs that were but but 
amazing songs really i mean they're just the 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 lyrics are out there but they're brilliant and they're i mean he's he's a phenomenal musician the the song structure the arrangements everything i have such a deeper appreciation now and so i'm i'm actually really happy to see that he is finally like you know, having a chance to go out and play those because like when I remember when I saw him and I've seen, I have seen him three times. Um, and I, I should mention too, I have never met Weird Al, but I did talk to him on the phone once. I, I interviewed him and that was, that was when I was working at WVLT in Jersey. So I was, it was about 2010. Do you have the tape? Do you have the tape of that? Uh, yeah, I've got it somewhere. I'll, I'll try to dig it out and maybe maybe hear it. maybe play a couple clips but he could not have been a, a a nicer guy i mean he was he was terrific he was just you know it was it was a thrill i remember talking to him about <laughs> i i remember when i was a kid he was on the cover of disney adventures you remember that magazine disney adventures it was like you'd see it in the supermarket there's a little maybe. Looked like, it looked like reader's digest but it was like all okay. disney stuff you know what I maybe had a copy or two of that over the years. You might be right. Yeah. Yeah. It was a fun little magazine. And I remember him doing an interview in it and talking about how when he was a kid, he sold his parents' house for a lifetime supply of wax lips. Okay, Al, I've got one final question for you. This is uh this is a question that I always told myself if I ever get the chance to talk to Weird Al, I have to ask him this. When I was a kid, maybe 11 or 12 years old, I picked up an issue of Disney Adventures magazine and it featured an interview with you. And there was something you said, and I've always wondered about. Did you really sell your house for a lifetime supply of wax lips? Well, I, a lot of people ask me this. I, I think this is the first question that Larry King asked me. Um, <laughs> you know, uh, I, I hate to, I hate to disillusion you, but no, I did not sell my house for a lifetime collection of wax lips. There, I've said it. <laughs> and I remember asking him about that, and then talking to him about a song that he had. Um, he had parodied a song that he never released, and it was uh, it was Paul McCartney and Wings, Live and Let Die, and he had done Chicken Pot Pie. When we were young, Bernie's Daily was down the block. He made a great liver pate. But if there's one thing in this world that I like better than a corned beef on rye, it's chicken pot pie. Chicken pot pie. And it was hilarious. And I had seen him do that live, but I so I, I remember asking him about you know why that had never ended up on an album. I, I wrote that, uh, and, and and you know it's not it wasn't a, a brilliant song, but uh, uh, it, it featured the uh, <laughs> the chorus was uh, basically just a bunch of chickens going, <laughs> you know, brilliant. But uh, actually, uh, at the time, uh, Paul turned that down, and he, he kind of felt bad about it because you know he he was a fan and and and, and appreciated kind of humor that I was doing, but uh, he and Linda were staunch vegetarians, and he felt that he couldn't condone uh, any song which implicitly uh, approved of the consumption of animal flesh. And and you're actually a vegetarian, right? I am, but you know, I know I still sing my bologna, but I don't mean 
fainted. <laughs> it's just stuff like that. It was a real short, like 10 or 15 minute interview, but it was fun. A year later, um, I got tickets through the radio station and a friend of mine, Ray Sheets, and I went and saw him in the Keswick Theater in Glenside, PA. And that was the first time I'd seen him since I was a kid. And it was great. It was a fun show. I will say the parody stuff was way funnier when I was a kid than when I was like 30. So like the fact that he's now out there doing those original songs and kind of like, what the tour was, it, it's called the self-indulgent, I think is in the name of the tour. Uh, I, Ill-advised. I, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I, ill-advised, self-indulgent. I like it's that too he's... too long for any normal human to remember. <laughs> but I like that he's being a little self-indulgent and finally playing some of those songs because when I saw him, all three times that I saw him, he probably only played two or three original songs. You know what I mean? Okay. Well, and the other thing my, my mother-in-law has remarked on this, and this, this is another thing about getting older. He's getting older. She said, well, he's known for all of these costume changes. Right. And he'll play videos in between and all those types of things. And so the tour I, that I just saw, it's him and his band. They're they're mostly sat down like they were on stools. It's the music. It's straightforward. There's only lights. There's no backstage visuals, you know, LED screens, nothing like that. No, no projection. And it's just the music. And, you know, guess what? The music was enough. It, it was sufficient. It was yeah. Sufficient when, I, when, when I saw him, he had the big giant fat suit on and he had the he came out on a Segway and then he was dressed like an Amish <laughs> guy. And, you know, it was the whole thing. And there was it, how he would do it was he would do a song and then there would the video screen would pop up and there would be like something during the costume change. They would entertain you on the screen and they would play yeah. clips from like Al TV and some of the other shows that he he did um, back in the day. Uh, I, I think they clips from his movie UHF. Um, so it would just be kind of like this multimedia spectacle. It, it's a, it's a, basically it's a rock and roll show. It's a high energy show with costume changes, uh, film clips. It's a multimedia kind of thing, and uh, it's, it's basically a funny uh, concert. Uh, it's family friendly. It's, it's a good time. Yeah, and something cool that I noticed uh, is that your audience is really a cross-section of society. I mean, there are, are all ages that come out and enjoy your show. You know, everything from kids to adults, grandparents to goths. I mean, it's it's a very diverse audience. So what's it like for you to, you know, to look out into that crowd and just see that so many different people love your work? It, it, it's very gratifying. I mean, I look out into the audience and you see every, everybody from a... Embryos to geriatrics. <laughs> Pretty cool. Yeah. What you're seeing now is you are seeing old man Al getting up and doing, you know, Weird Al Yankovic Unplugged. But you know what? That's ex- like that's what he deserves at this point in his career. It's it's almost yeah. like a uh, like a victory lap in a way. A little bit. I, one thing I can be thankful for, and I'm I'm not saying this to disparage any of our musical idols, but his voice was top notch. Uh, he was on. Like, and, and, and also when, when I got a chance to meet him, uh, you know, he didn't say much to anybody. He was, he he was more like, like nodding a lot, or he put his hand on his chest, kind of going like, (laughs) kind of like, you know, just almost a lot of these nonverbal cues. I think he was doing a lot of vocal rest. I think he's kind of learned over the years, he's got to save his, his vocals. And so he keeps it really simple and straightforward. So that that was kind of interesting to make those little observations as I was going through the line. You know, is it true then you met him through yeah. plastic? Oh, OK. Well, I was going to get to that. That This is a, a bizarre aspect of it. I couldn't tell. Like, I don't know. Again, my brain was thinking, how do I interview Weird Al? Like, and I just knew it wasn't going to happen. But I was thinking of all the things to ask him what I wanted to ask him. So, yes, 
there was a, a sheet of plastic, like a curtain. Let's just call it a, a see-through plastic curtain, totally see-through. Uh, that was between us and him as we were taking our picture. And so we were stood there, right? We were stood there and we could make whatever motion we wanted. We could fist bump him. We could, we could put our hands up in the air, like questions. We could, we could put our hands on our faces and do a home alone scream. We could do whatever we wanted. And sometimes he would mimic us or he would look at us a certain way, but there was always the plastic sheet in between us and him. And then round two, there was the tour poster and he was sitting there signing it. And then we would say our name and I'd say, Chris. And then the, the same guy that was the Jeopardy host, he'd be go, Chris, C-H-R-I-S. And he'd, he'd spell out the name and then <laughs> Al would sign his signature. And but, but the same curtain was there between us, right? So I, I was and was not in the presence of Al. <laughs> like the way that I frame it, it was, it was a little bit like Al the museum piece. <laughs> like Al the traveling, like... It's like King Tut's tomb. Like, you know, you can look but not touch, you know, like <laughs> it's like it's like um, you know, going through a Disney World and there's like behind the glasses animatronic owl, you know. Yeah, that's that's what it was. It was animatronic owl or owl in the bubble, you know, owl so, is the boy in the bubble. So uh, obviously this is this is a COVID precaution. Um I, and I've heard that this it was a certainly started as a COVID precaution. He got COVID last year and had to cancel some tour dates, which is again why I got to see him because it was last May. And so I don't know. Maybe he's just extra safety. He's not, you know, maybe he'll do this the rest of his life. Maybe Al's like, listen, you know, he does have the song about germs, doesn't he? <laughs> like maybe it's real. Sometimes I really want to be alone. But that's one state I'm never in. Because I know that I've got millions upon millions of tiny one-celled organisms living on my skin you know i gotta be honest i i get it uh, i have i have I'll, i have mixed uh mixed feelings on it and I'll, I'll share that yeah me too i totally get it because the um you know bruce springsteen just kicked off his uh you know tour with the east street band and i don't know if you've seen any of this in the news but like over the last week like three or four members of the band have gotten COVID and they've had to go on with oh. like, they've had, Bruce has not gotten it. So they've been able to do every show, but they've been down, you know, Steven Van Zant was out, out for a couple shows. His wife missed like five shows. So, you know, when you're putting on like, especially like a show like that, I, I remember seeing that Elton John uh, apparently has been on his farewell tour and he has basically isolated him and, and his band members. He doesn't even see his band members until they get on stage and but the reason they've done that is because when you're doing you know multi-million dollar tour canceling shows is really difficult and so they're being yeah. extra cautious to be so that they don't have to cancel and they haven't had to so in, in that regard i totally get it because if weird al has to cancel shows or reschedule it, it's a hassle for the audience it's a hassle for him and the band they've got to reschedule at the same time now I say this, and I say this as somebody who is still to this day, I, I'm a pretty cautious person when it comes with COVID. I do try to avoid big crowds indoors and things like that. I say that. I've only ever gotten a photo op, like you know, where you you know pay for a photo op once in my life. Um, that was at a comic convention uh, years ago. It was uh, our family went and met Mark Hamill. And I have to say, it's a 10-second experience. And... You know, it's almost not worth it. 
except the thing that makes it completely worth it was, man, I got to like, you know, shake Mark Hamill's hand and say hi to him and get to stand next to Mark Hamill and have that picture. And it was like for a moment, I mean, I was, I met Mark Hamill and it was great. If I had to be behind plastic, it would still be very cool and it would be cool to have that picture. I don't know that in my mind I could justify, you know, it was like, I don't know, like $250 or whatever it was to, you know, to meet Mark Hamill. You know, these VIP experiences, they're not cheap. And that is really awesome that your mother-in-law treated you to that because they're, they're, those are just, they're not cheap experiences. Um, so it would be like, um, you know, like I would really have to weigh how much I wanted to spend that kind of money to be behind plastic with, you know, somebody. To give Al credit, our VIP tickets was basically like a nosebleed ticket at a, at a Billy Joel concert. <laughs> <laughs> Well, so. yeah, probably at this point. I mean, uh, I, I would have probably went more for the Bruce Springsteen. <laughs> I mean, actually, probably a nosebleed ticket at Springsteen was probably twice as much uh, than. Right. Th- exactly. th- though, I don't know if you again, I don't know if you followed this or not, but, but I've been paying close attention to the Springsteen tour. And this is the craziest weird thing. Now, I'm so upset this didn't happen because he came here to Orlando and I was looking, you know, and ticket the 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 um the scalper, you know, the the you know the resale tickets, they never dropped in price. Um, maybe a little bit the day of, but not much. And they were still higher than face value. In some cities, the Springsteen bubble has burst and they are unloading tickets. I'm not no no exaggeration, five dollars a ticket the day of the show. People were complaining about how expensive it was to get into Springsteen. A lot of these cities, it's not anymore. <laughs> because people aren't buying them is what you're saying. Because nobody bought those, you know, those scalper tickets because they were insane. Unfortunately, I was one of the first uh, shows, you know, Orlando was one of the first shows. So maybe they learned their lesson that, you know, none of these tickets were selling the, for the first few nights. Now in every city, they're just, they're just marking them down to like next to nothing just to try to get something i guess but i mean tons i I went i went on Ticketmaster, and there were tons of tickets i think it was in in houston for for five six dollars good seats were like 20 25 dollars yeah so back to your thing about like the the you know did did i or did i not meet al you know i i guess i'm right there with you in feeling conflicted which is that like i was so grateful for the for, for the whole experience oh yeah quick by the way when they sent us our pictures, they moved us closer together than we really were. So like my hand was kind of like crossed over on his hand just a little bit. It made it look like we were right next to each other. So the whole, the, even our picture is kind of funny because it's not true to life. And, and, and it is what it is, right? It's you're, uh, you sent it to me. You, you're like standing on top of a mountain or something. They did like a, a green screen backdrop, right? So they just kind of put a put, put a mountain behind us. I don't know why. I don't know why that was necessary. Maybe because the boring brick behind us was just not, you know, like, why would you want that? But I didn't need a mountain either. But it is, you know, it's fine. It's, it's a fine. cool, it's a, it's, um, a, it's a fun picture, though. It is a fun picture. No, it, I really, really like my picture, actually, by the way. Um, I guess my problem is, is like you... And this this doesn't make any sense. This is another thing about fandom is and Weird Al is one of these people where I want a soul connection. Right. You know, so across space and time, 
I've felt connected to Weird Al. And that's a weird thing. <laughs> that's a strange thing. And Al, as the famous guy, as the icon, he has to live with that. He has to live with all of these people wanting a piece of him or wanting all of his time or like the lady that that was in line before me she like just kind of poured her she had five seconds right and she poured out her heart she's just like thank you so much for all that you you, you know all that you've done over the years and al has to listen to somebody say that to him every 10 seconds you know <laughs> and um and so like for me i i, I didn't want to say that to him i said al could i sit could, could i hang out with you for the next three four days or months you know like can I come live with you for a little bit, Al? That's okay to ask, right? For me to come live with you. Um, so like, I want something ridiculous too, right? I want to monopolize his time. I want to get to know him. I want to ask him a million questions. I want to write a song with him. I want to invite my kids' birthday parties, whatever it is, you know, like, and, and um, so that's but, another weird thing about fandom. But right? you, but, you know, I mean, I think in a way it was almost merciful going up and sort of just being light about it because, you know yeah. how how yeah. how almost emotionally draining must it be to have you know like hundreds of people a night telling you that you know you saved their <laughs> life, uh, which uh, and, and especially yeah, right well and especially for uh, an, an artist like Weird Al Yankovic, I have to imagine that there's a lot of kids who had rough childhoods that Weird Al was something yeah. that they really clung to. You know what I mean? Uh, just a bright spot yeah. in the darkness. I mean, I, I would I would have to imagine that he has to hear that kind of thing all the time. Yeah. Uh, well, and maybe this is another comment. Uh, you know, for anybody listening there, uh, anybody that might be listening to this and was there that night, I'm going to apologize for what I'm going to say next. But you know what? It is what it is. It was the whitest concert I've ever been to in my whole life. <laughs> I want to bowl with the gangsters. But oh, well, it's obvious I'm white and nerdy. Think I'm just too white and nerdy. Think I'm just too white and nerdy. I'm just too white and nerdy. Look at me, I'm white and nerdy. And so, like, you know, the song White and Nerdy, I thought, oh, it's not just about him. He's singing that for all of his fans. And this is Springfield, Illinois, which is not a tiny, tiny town, but it's also not a big town, but it's the, the state capital. And I don't think I saw other than like the ushers and the people working there. There was no people of color there. It was just us white. It was the nerdiest crowd I've ever been a part of. And I thought, oh, I guess I finally found my people. I had a similar experience in 2008. My cousin and I went to a Barry Manilow concert. Oh no! <laughs> and it was it was a big show. It was like at the um, I think it was at the Philadelphia Spectrum, uh, or maybe it was the Wells Fargo Center. It was one of the the big arena in, in Philly, and uh, it was like there were people tailgating in the parking lot, and it was like it was the yuppiest tailgate I'd ever seen. It was like I mean I'm not I mean like people like guys in polo shirts with wine coolers, and 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 just just very very white. <laughs> There you go. They, and they call themselves Fanalos. So Fanalos, yeah. I don't know if Weird Al's people have a have a name for themselves. I'm not sure. Uh, you know what? That's a great question. I have no idea. Yankers. <laughs> Yankers. <laughs> yeah. That's, yeah. Uh, you know. And so, I mean, it's fine. It, it, it was great. But like to what you said, there was a whole lot of people that I could tell were the sensitive types. 
were the people that maybe were mistreated as kids as I was. I was, I was, I was teased mercilessly when I was a kid. I had a rough upbringing. Now I wouldn't necessarily say that Al was one of those that comforted me uh, in the sense of like making it feel like it was okay to be myself or to be kind of a nerd or whatever. But I totally get that. And I, I felt that I sensed it with the people that were there that night. And honestly, some of the nicest fans I've ever met. I mean, it was a, it was a kind loving bunch to be honest with you i mean so i mean weird Al has some good fans i, I, I guess is maybe one thing i want to say <laughs> um even though we're of a certain demographic <laughs> um, <laughs> but maybe maybe you you should have did you should have just went up and said well you know what al you ruined my life you, you know? ruined my life and then see what yeah, happened yeah you ruined my life you know just be the polar opposite of the woman in front of you yeah well that's the thing too is if, if you want to do something special you would want to like figure out something to say to like you know, shock him a little bit, right? To get get his attention and go, oh, this guy, oh, this guy's different, right? As opposed to the whole "I love you, changed my life" thing. Yeah, like I don't know, but I didn't. You know, I just kind of <laughs> actually I let my mother in law step in. She said she talked to him about these boxer shorts that she had gotten thrown at her, or he gave them to her at a concert she saw. What is it like four, five, six years ago now? It was for the mandatory fun tour. And he does this thing where I can't remember which song it is. Oh, uh, he, pro probably uh, one more minute is probably the the song. Is I that think, what it is? Because I think he used to throw boxers off during that song, which is a great song. That's right. That's right. You ain't gonna see me crying. I'm glad, I'm glad. that you found somebody new. Cause I'd rather spend eternity eating shards of broken glass. One more minute with you. So she saw him. She basically had front row tickets, I think. And she got his boxer shorts that night. And she uh, she actually told him about it. She got a chance to tell him that as, as she went through the line. So that was that was kind of a fun, kind of fun moment. She thought about bringing them. But because they said that uh, he only is going to autograph the poster. Right. He's not going to autograph anything else, you know, records or whatever. Um, she didn't end up bringing the boxer shorts, but she told him about it. So that was kind of nice that she got a chance to tell him that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I, I have one more thing. I have one more thing about fandom. I had something funny happen in the moments leading up to uh, the, 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 the Al Jeopardy, the Al Jeopardy moment. I was sitting next to this guy. I had just met him. We were kind of just going around about it. I think they were from Iowa. And it just so happens that this guy ended up being one of the contestants. So his name got called. Now, in the moments before he got called, I didn't, of course, I didn't know that. You know, they they drew it out of a, one of those spinning wheel things, and you you draw the card out. You know, kind of like bingo. And um, I said, I, I was I was saying to this guy, I said, well, I don't know, I, I I don't know if if I would know how much I would be able to answer <clears throat> all the questions. So the guy turns to me and he says this, and I and looking back on it, I realize this is a little bit of a test. He said. What is Al's last name? And I said this. I said Yankovic. I said Yankovic. And I don't know about you. I, I didn't realize it. Even then, I didn't realize it. I was like, oh, I mispronounced his name. And what's kind of funny is I think this is a thing amongst fans, isn't it? Pr the proper pronunciation of his name. Is this correct? I mean, I've heard, I've definitely heard it pronounced both ways. I'm a Yankovic person, but I do know, I mean, I've heard it pronounced Yankovic many times. H have you heard of the word, it's a shibboleth test? Have you heard that phrase I, before? I, 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 yeah, I'm familiar with that. You know, it's it's this, you know, this concept of certain people from certain places, like they'll they'll say words in certain ways. And if 
of like the word shibboleth or shibboleth, like it, it, it demonstrates what your ethnicity is. Like if you come from this country or that country. And I was thinking that I think, I think he was giving me a shibboleth test. He was trying to see if I was a true Weird Al fan because the correct way is to say Yankovic. Like that's, <laughs> that's the way that I've heard it officially now. To me, growing up, like, you know, seeing people like maybe of uh, Eastern European, Russian backgrounds, whatever. I don't, I don't even remember what, what Al's, you know, you know, European heritage is there. Well, and, and all I really mean to say is growing up, names like that in my area were always pronounced with an itch, with a Yankovic. And so it's just kind of funny just how these things work. Uh, so like to me, it's not about my fandom. It's like, well, that's just how things were done when I was growing up. Right. It's what I'm used to hearing at all times. Right. So you know again, I don't know if I'm correct or not. You know what? That's so. funny. I'm thinking about Better Call Saul and his alias Gene Takovic, or is it Takovic? Right. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> And who knows, really? But so, like, that's the funny thing is, is sometimes as fans, we put these tests on each other. Like, is it Sufjan Stevens or Sufjan Stevens? So, you know? Yeah, like, yeah. If, if somebody says Sufjan, I know they're not a true fan. Not Sufjan? Sufjan. Yeah. <laughs> Surf Jammy. Surf Jam. Yeah. So, anyway, that's all. That's all I've got as far as, the, like, these are kind of my fandom observations well and uh, well, here, like, well, here, here's a question for you how was the show okay so i guess i didn't exactly know what i was getting into like even as the moments leading up to it i had to like relook at like the, the show notes kind of like the concert description and go oh okay i didn't know if it was gonna be like al on his accordion with one person behind him kind of playing percussion or something like that and then i was actually kind of relieved i was like oh okay he's playing with his longtime band and they're they're touring with them. It's just that it's a very straightforward concert, but the full band. And I, I guess maybe that's one of my biggest takeaways, which is like he has this group of virtuosos backing him up and they love him. And they're all kind of part of it, part of the show. Like they each have their own little personality a little bit. Well, I don't know, maybe the bass player, he's he's a typical bass player. He kind of fades into the background, he's quiet, but they are just such a tight ensemble. They know their stuff and I, I don't know. I don't know how they do it. Um, as I've been listening through through some more Weird Al music over the last few weeks, I'm just astounded at their abilities to shift and play any genre of music. You know, as far as his band members go, are you familiar at all about their work outside of Weird Al? That answer would have to be no. I don't know. Okay, his guitar player, uh, Jim West, is one of the best and most renowned Hawaiian slack key guitar players in the world. When I worked at um, at WVLT, we had a show there. Uh, and the host used to do, it was once a week and he would do just really like, it was basically a folk show, but he would do all sorts of world music and things. And anyway, he got to be friends with Jim West. He played his music a lot on the radio. And, and when Weird Al came down and did a show, uh, I think it was like in Atlantic City, Jim West invited this friend of mine to meet him in person and he introduced him to al and you know is so so this friend of mine who who is like this really big you know like 
he's really big into classical music and folk and all this really artsy stuff. Uh, went to a Weird Al concert, <laughs> and uh, but he enjoyed himself. And uh, but he was not the kind of guy you would have ever imagined going to a Weird Al show. But he went because his guitar player is is just this amazing, uh, you know, slack key guitarist. Um, the, the other guys, uh, Steve J, uh, John Bermuda Schwartz. I think I, I met a few of them. Like like after like when I think it was at the Wildwood concert, me and my cousin met a couple of them afterward. They, we went out to the bus. Al never came out. So I've still never met Al. <laughs> Even behind your plastic shield, you're far closer to Al than I ever got. But, um, <laughs> but I uh, did get to meet a couple of the band members. Those guys are amazing. Yeah. The keyboard player. I mean, I, you know, I just think just utterly stellar players and I, I don't know enough about that story, but it is amazing that they've stuck with him over the years They've journeyed with him through whatever genre of music he throws at him. I mean, it's just crazy. It's just crazy what they've done over the years. It's just, it's astounding. Okay. But the show itself, you were going to talk about now. Yeah. You, you know, so as somebody who's not this utterly devoted fan, I would say I knew about a third of the originals, right? And I even asked you before I went, I said, Joe, give me your, give me your 10 best Al originals so that I can familiarize myself. And so there's a decent chunk of the show that I didn't know. Uh, but I had this great moment. Here's an example of how great, great Al is. Like one of my favorite bands is the White Stripes. Love the White Stripes. Love Jack White. And there is this song. I can't remember the name of the song right now. Uh, but I could tell. I could tell. It wasn't a direct parody, right? It wasn't an actual parody of a White Stripes song. But it was done in the style of the White Stripes. <laughs> Just the way that they did their music, it was also partially their their lighting, and they also had the rest of the musicians leave, so it was only Al, the guitarist, and the drummer. So they they kind of did the stage presentation like the White Stripes, but I could tell I was like, oh, this is, they're doing this in the style of the White Stripes, and uh, that that was part of the fun of it was that so, those kinds of moments. So he, I do know that he calls those songs style parodies. Yeah, yeah, he did a lot of those. They're brilliant. One of my favorites. He did. Did he do? Um... The biggest ball of twine in Minnesota. Do you remember if he did that song? Yes, he did oh. that kind of towards the end. What's that a parody of? Okay, that is that is a style parody. It's it's a Weird Al original, but I will say it is extremely extremely inspired by and and in and in some cases very close to the song Thirty Thousand Pounds of Bananas by Harry Chapin. Okay. It was just after dark when the truck started down the hill that leads into Scranton, Pennsylvania carrying 30,000 pounds of bananas carrying 30,000 pounds hit it big jump of bananas and, okay. and I grew up I loved Harry Chapin so um sure, sure i absolutely loved it so uh yeah so he did it at one of the concerts that was one of his originals that he did um when i saw him the very first time and knowing right away like oh my gosh this is this is harry chapin i said kids if you could 
go anywhere in this great big world now. Where'd you like to go to? He said, Dad. We want to see the biggest bottle of twine in Minnesota. They pick the biggest bottle of twine in Minnesota. And, uh, but yeah, so it's, it's not necessarily a parody, but it's very much in the style of the most famous one that he did is probably um, the song Dare to be Stupid which is very much influenced by Devo. By D- Devo. Exactly. You can turn the other cheek. You can just give up the ship. You can eat a bunch of sushi, then forget to leave a tip. Dude, I'm stupid. Come on, I'm dude, I'm stupid. It's so easy to do. Dude, I'm stupid. We're all waiting for you. And, right. I, and I, I believe the uh, the guy from Devo had... Uh, what, did you ever see Weird Al's uh, Behind the Music? <laughs> I don't think I did see it. No, I, no. I, I I remember seeing it as a kid. I remember they interviewed the guy from Devo, and, and... I was in shock. Uh, it was the most beautiful thing I'd ever heard. He sort of re-sculpted that song into something else, and um, I hate him for it. Basically, that's funny. Yeah, that's great. That's great. Yeah, and I mean, he didn't play that one. He didn't play Dare to Be Stupid. I guess maybe like along with the the style parodies, even though I didn't know all of the songs, you know, his vocals came through. And so I was enjoying it as a comedy show. And and maybe that's what's so unique about Al is like we're sitting there enjoying the virtuosity of his musicians and yet also like being able to laugh. And so it's just it's this it's a unique experience. Like if and I'll say this, too, um, um <laughs> we were driving i was driving in the car with my wife and uh i put on weird Al. i put on running with scissors and as soon as he comes on you know you can tell who it is it's like it's weird Al. my wife she generally likes him but she gives me this look she's just kind of like a, oh really right <laughs> right now you're gonna you're gonna do this <laughs> you know and i'm kind of like yeah any moment's a good moment for weird Al, right and she's kind of like yeah okay all right. Now, so I think the spectrum of Weird Al runs runs from super fans to people that like him but aren't always in the mood to people who like just can't stand him. I, I uh, you know, like there are people that are just like, what do you? Why would you like that? And so I think you know you, you you run the full gamut of like people like people's impressions of him, which is kind of funny. While we were preparing for this podcast over the last you know week or so, I have been driving around town a lot, and uh, often when I'm driving around, my my son will come with me, and we, uh, we you know, and he's a good you know audience for Weird Al. I, I think my wife enjoys him though, you know, like she she likes Weird Al, but sure. I, I I think that you know probably similarly, I, I I think that she probably enjoys him more in small doses rather than like you right. know has to yeah. be in the right mood, so. Couple of drinks in her. So my, <laughs> so my son and I, we were driving around in the for a, a couple of days. We were just listening to just Weird Al's original songs, and then once we got through a lot of those, then we spent a day driving. We just played all of his polkas, <laughs> and and Al has you know you know at least on, usually on every album there's at least one polka medley. Hey, rock the cradle of love. Rock the cradle of love. Did he do any polka when you saw him? Is he has he left the polka behind? You know, 
you know, very little, very little of that style. And maybe, maybe, hey, you know what? One disappointing aspect of the show is he played his accordion only about a third of the time. And even when he was playing, I couldn't hear him very well. So so there was there was one moment where he did kind of like a, a prog rock, almost like classical piece that that his organ shone through and that was really cool i could have used more polka i could have used more uh just more accordion in general um but yeah i love those parodies aren't they something else i mean they're crazy his his parody polkas are just nuts they're incredible i mean they really are i mean they're they're, they're fantastic and they're fun i mean they're really fun he doesn't yeah. you know he doesn't change the lyrics he just sings a polka version of you know so I have I have a question for you about those polka parodies. Yeah. You know, so like Al has this thing where he says like he respects the music. He actually loves the music. He really, you know, he really does like he's he's a fan of all the music he does. I guess I would have a quibble with him, <laughs> which is that his polka versions reveal kind of just the silliness and the banality the the idiocy of a lot of modern pop music which is like <laughs> these lyrics are dumb and the people like these songs are idiotic and they're shallow and they're like about nothing and here he is singing them in a polka style and somehow some way it reveals just the silliness of some of this pop music and so i have my doubts where i go i know he does respect it and he likes a lot of this music at the same time He's kind of making fun of it. I mean, what do you think about that? I mean, you you definitely on his polkas, he tends to really go into his goofier side, his goofier voice. He'll, he he does a lot. Of, you can tell he does a lot of his own background vocals, and they get really silly. So I hear what you're saying. The one exception to that I'll say <laughs> is I think that Bohemian polka is a masterpiece. Open your eyes, look up to the skies, and see. Which album is that off of? That's on um, Alapalooza. That's the one with the, it's the weird See? owl. It looks like the Jurassic Park cover. Uh, have, you, have you ever, have you ever okay. even heard Bohemian Polka? I'm trying to think. I might, I maybe have not. I maybe it, have not. It is Bohemian Rhapsody in Polka. It's exactly, you know, what it, it sounds like. And it's breathtaking. You've got to check it See, out. I would be here for that. I would be here for that. Yeah. I, I mean, uh, it, it, it's, it's, it's mind blowing good. <laughs> Right. Um, oh, by the way, a couple of things here. Best encore I've ever seen. Because I don't know if you know about this. I don't know if this is a thing that he does, but when they finish this, they finish the proper concert. They all kind of walk off stage and everybody's just cheering away. They go nuts. You know, we love Al. We know we all know he's going to do an encore. But what he did was he totally hammed it up. And he kind of like made it about himself, like in a hilarious way. Like, uh, you know, they, they just sat around looking at their watches. Like, like uh, it was almost like a, an arrogant rock star, like an intentional arrogant rock star move. It's like, yeah, here we are. You know, we know how much you love us. And <laughs> the way he milked, he milked that encore, you know, that, that applause was hilarious. I love that. Uh, so that was great. That was, that was, it was a really fun moment of the concert when they came back on. Like, I guess I want to know what I was listening to because they did this ex 
extended vocal, like he started going into Amish paradise, but what was really unique about it was he was doing different versions of some of his parodies and like they were in different styles. It's almost like he had rewritten the songs themselves. Like the music was different. Um, he did that with smells like team spirit or smells like Nirvana, which is really cool. And then they went into this bizarre vocal performance of like all kinds of like weird vocalizations. Um, they weren't even like words necessarily. It was an incredible virtuosic performance. It was like a seven minute long song. Do you, do you know anything about this? Was this the Yoda chant? Yes. What was I listening to? Okay. Uh, <laughs> I, I couldn't tell you the origins of this or necessarily why he does it. But typically speaking, you know, for years he would close all of his concerts with the song Yoda, you know, the parody of the Lola by the Kinks. And in later years, I remember when I saw him in uh, the Keswick Theater in 2011, he <laughs> came out dressed as a Jedi and about a dozen stormtroopers marched out on stage and just stood there next to him while he sang uh, uh, Yoda. And um, now, for some reason, and this goes back to like when he wrote the song, the original demo for that song had this chant in it um and it's like i i i don't really know how to describe it either it's like da da ding da 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 ding da like and it's and they're doing this really like very tight um chant yo and it's it's impressive i mean it's truly impressive it's weird it's 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 really strange it feels like it's coming from some ancient civilization you know it's like the druids or something and, like that you know yeah it, it it really does and he in fact in fact my cousin <laughs> you bring that up my cousin his parents i remember them hearing him or him telling me they heard him playing uh a recording of that and it like freaked okay, his, i, I it know freaked, where you're going with this it, it freaked his mom out and she was really upset by it because it sounded demonic to her <laughs> um but it, it yeah it's this thing that they've done for years when he recorded the song obviously it's not on the recording but it's this thing that they still do live i didn't know that they still did that even on this tour so that's kind of cool to uh to hear but um i know exactly what you're talking about i don't know why maybe i if somebody listening does know why email us or, or uh comment on social media let us know cuz i have no clue uh why he uh does that or what the origins of that are I want a VH1 behind the music just on this song itself because it was such a weird experience. I actually looked it up on YouTube and, you know, people have live bootlegs of it or whatever. 14 minutes, right? It's 14 minutes long. I mean, it was it was it was an epic is what it was. And uh, it's very I mean, impressive. I'll tell you what I remember. Um, you mentioning him doing different arrangements. Um, you, you remember his uh, his parody of Madonna, like a virgin. It was uh, like a surgeon. Sure. Yeah. Absolutely. I finally made it through med school. Somehow I made it through. I'm just an intern. I still make a 
remember is when I saw him in the in the mid nineties. He um, it was after her. Uh, remember her documentary Truth or Dare that had come out, and I guess in the and I've never seen Truth or Dare, but I apparently in that um, in that film there's footage from her concert tour where she does like the truth or dare version of like a virgin. So it's has a totally different arrangement and it's, you know, and I think this was when they, the whole Madonna cone bra thing happened. It was a, a much more uh, sexualized version of that song. I remember that weird Al uh, came out on a bed <laughs> dressed like a doctor and the band members were in cone bras and uh, and the arrangement was changed to the truth or dare version of, of like a surgeon. So I, when you said that, it reminded me I, I heard him do a different arrangement of that. So, so he does change things up, uh, you know, when uh, I guess when the spirit hits him. Like a surgeon. Uh, well, you know what? I want to talk about that kind of subject maybe when we get to our our film and TV, you know, our comedy episode about some of the stuff Weird Al did. Because it's this question of, is Weird Al a family comedian? Or is he is he somebody that's pushing pushing more, like, you know, a darker humor? Let's, let, let's not go into that now, but um, I, I kind of want to I want to explore that with you a little bit because I, I don't know what to do with Weird Al sometimes. And that's one of the reasons I like him, actually. I think that's what makes him pretty interesting. Did you have something you wanted to say about no, that? I, well, again, this whole thing is Weird Al a family. I, I think, gen, generally speaking, I I do you know view Weird Al as a family comedian. But I did have a flashback earlier this week as my son and I were driving around listening to his polkas. I remembered being taken back to 1996, being 15, and going to uh, see Weird Al with my mom. And Weird Al on that tour was playing the alternative polka. Uh, yeah. it was a, a lot of songs from the early to mid '90s, and it had uh, "Loser" from Beck in it, and and uh, uh, "Basket yeah. Case" from Green Day. Um, sure. And what I re- what I remember is there's that song where the lyrics go, "I wanna f you like an animal, I wanna feel you from the inside." <laughs> and Weird Al did that in his polka, and I remember like just like ooh, shrinking down in my seat as my mom's sitting there. But he does it, but he did it like very cartoony. It was like I wanna wink, like they had like sound effects and stuff, and like springs and stuff, like, and it was hilarious. Help me, the only thing that works for me. Help me get away from myself. I wanna you like an animal. But I mean, you know, still edgy for a you know a kids act, basically. I guess that's why Weird Al is truly strange, truly weird, is that from what I gather, he doesn't swear in his own life, and yet his own material can be really dark. He'll reference some twisted things. There's a lot of violence. A lot of people tell me they listen to our music uh, on family road trips, which is cool. I like hearing that. Um, I like uh, being under the family-friendly umbrella. Uh, although I, I don't quite understand that sometimes because um, uh, 
if you didn't notice it before, you probably noticed it during this show. A lot of our songs are dark, disturbing, and horrifically violent. <laughs> you know, there's some. Yeah, you know, like <laughs> I remember Larry is the is the I mean, where he like uh, it's his his revenge song of the you know, basically murdering and burying his uh, his bully in the in the in the um, the woods. <laughs> right and one of my favorite moments from the concert i think and i want to i think i've heard this song before but i really want to revisit it is why does this always happen to me It's, it's this meditation on narcissism and world tragedies. And it's like, you know, things think horrible things happening all around the world. And yet this idiot who's singing the song, you know, is just like only interprets things based on how it affects him. And it's I mean, I was just cracking up. I mean, the, the satire, the biting, biting satire of it, you know, and uh, I don't know, I I I. I I enjoy that aspect of his work and what's funny about, yeah, it's like, is, you know, he's a kid's comedian. He's silly. And yet, man, there's a dark side to Al, right? There's a dark side to his work. When you saw him, did, did he do the, uh, the night Santa went crazy? No. That's it. That's because that's a a dark song. Well, so here's what I'm, I'm having trouble remembering Joe. Um, And this is my last thing about the concert is, when it comes to concert, I mean, you and I started a podcast called Between the Songs. I love concerts. Some people hate this. Some people hate this, but I love it when people tell good stories in mm-hmm. between the songs. And that was a highlight of this concert for me was him telling stories. What I can't remember is he told a story. I think you might be correct. It might have been The Night Santa Went Crazy. And I'm, I'm just blanking. I'm, I'm try- it was one of the Christmas songs. He did a special on like a American bandstand. It was like, you know, one of the Dick Clark shows or whatever. And they made him change the lyrics or they, they re-edited the ear, the lyrics because they were too, they were just too violent. And he told this great story during the concert about that. Oh, that I, if it's during the American bandstand era, I'm thinking it had to be Christmas at ground zero, maybe. Everywhere the atom bombs are dropping. It's the end of all humanity. No more time for last minute shopping. It's time to face your final destiny. It's Christmas at Ground Zero. There's panic in the crowd. We can dodge debris while we trim the tree underneath a mushroom cloud. I love that song because it's it's got the um it has that great Phil Spector Christmas album feel to it. And it's it's a great song, yeah. But it's that's the basically Christmas in the apocalypse. Yeah, yeah, right. And I mean that's the thing, is like I mean, is that you know, post 9-11, it's like, can we sing that song? Like, is that okay to sing Christmas at Ground Zero? And there's just aspects of his work that's like a little bit disturbing, right? But I think it's hilarious. I'm I'm I mean, I enjoy it, but well, yeah, because because Ground you know. Zero, I mean, Ground Zero, yeah, absolutely, kind of took on a whole different, 
meaning for you know a, a generation exactly. after that but yeah uh, no, that's a that's a good point. But I mean, yeah, I guess after you know, I, I know he's doing that song again. So I guess after twenty years, he he felt comfortable enough bringing it back out. Yeah, yeah. But you know, we'll talk more about that when we get to his TV stuff. And um, I mean, I just I just you know thoroughly enjoyed myself. You know, every everything about the show is just wonderful. Uh, what what did your mother in law think? I think she thoroughly enjoyed herself. Yeah, she, she really you know lovely time. I'll say this, a funny thing. I didn't even mention this yet. And I didn't exactly know what this was going to be, but I knew that the comedian Emo Phillips was the quote opening act. And I didn't know, like, I thought, does Emo Phillips do music? <laughs> like, I didn't know exactly what was what I was in store for. Comes out, okay, it's stand up, you know, like, and I know where I'm at now. Like, as soon as I realized he was telling jokes, I was like, okay, all right, I know what's going on here. And there were some things that Emo Phillips said that made my mother-in-law squirm. She he, she was like, uh, he 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 took that too far. I'm sitting there just cracking up. Like I'm just thir- like Emo Phillips is a demented human being. <laughs> <laughs> and what's interesting about him is he's kind of like Al, is that he's truly pushing those boundaries. When I play a great place like this in front of this kind of crowd. You know, it makes me remember why I got to stand up in the first place. To pick up skanks. <laughs> <laughs> you know who you are. <laughs> um, if you're a kid, you're at that show, all of those dark jokes might just fly right by you. And that's what's really tricky about his the emo Phillips style of comedy, is uh, that you don't you don't always get it, and it's it's but there's some deep dark elements to it. So so I think she thoroughly enjoyed herself. I don't know that she was a big fan of uh, of emo Phillips, but uh, <laughs> I'd like to know more about that guy and his his you know his strange you know I, I mean like who like where, where does he live like who, who, he's a, he's just a, he he comes out kind of in like a his own little costume. He has he has some weird props. Uh, he has a weird presence to him, but uh, you know, Al loves him, so he must be okay. <laughs> well, I'm sure we'll talk about this in our next episode. But Emo Phillips, well, he was in uh, in the movie uh, UHF. Oh. You believe this? Oh, will you look at that? Oh, just call me Mister Butterfingers. Um, I think it's on the the floor somewhere. Oh, is my face red? Yep, exactly. All right. That's how uh, they announced him when he came on stage. Oh, did they really? <laughs> you, yeah. You may remember him from this, you know, one scene in this one movie. Yeah. Spurting blood from UHF. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, great, man. It sounds like you had a blast. I'm, I'm happy for you. That, that sounded like a lot of fun. Yeah, it was great. So that's our conversation on Weird Al's music. We would love to hear from you. What are some of your favorite Al parodies, style parodies, original tunes? I mean, you know, you mentioned Everything You Know Is Wrong. I, I would have to be right there with you. I had that song stuck in my head for weeks. Everything you know is wrong. Black is white, up is down, and short is long.
about that is they say that that it's a style parody of they might be giants and i guess what i don't listen to they might be giants so all i have in my mind is the context for al <laughs> And, um, and, and, and actually I have a similar story and this is actually true for a lot of people is like, for me, smells like Nirvana, you know, the, the Nirvana parody, that's my version of that song for better or for worse. What is this song all about? Can't figure any lyrics out. How do the words to it go? Um, I didn't really listen to Nirvana. I totally knew the song, but Weird Al's version of it superseded my the, the original version. And uh, and I don't care. I don't care. I sing that version of the song. <laughs> Any thoughts on that for yourself? I'm very similar. I did not listen to Nirvana, you know, at that age. Um, loved the Al version. I love the story behind that because, you know, Al always, you know, out of respect to the artist, tries to get permission before he'll do a parody. And uh, I think the story that he's told is like uh, he, he had a very, very difficult time getting a hold of Nirvana to ask their permission. And Victoria Jackson, who was a cast member on Saturday Night Live, she was in the movie UHF. She was Al's love interest in that movie, his girlfriend. And uh, when Nirvana went on Saturday Night Live, he called up the studio, got Victoria Jackson on the line and asked her if she could put Nirvana on the phone with him. So as the legend goes, she goes in there and hands the phone, you know, Chris Novoselic and, or, or is it, is it Novoselic or Novoselic? I'm, I'm not sure. <laughs> I wouldn't be able to tell you I'm the wrong person to ask. <laughs> but hands it to Chris and, uh, and to Dave Grohl and, and then Kurt Cobain and they get on the phone and then they're all excited because Weird Al Yankovic's calling them. And uh, I just told him, you know, hey, it's Weird Al Yankovic, and I, I would love to do a parody of Smells Like Teen Spirit. And, and his initial reaction was, oh, it, it's going to be a song about food, because a lot of my hits at that time were. Uh, and, uh, and I explained, well, no, it's a song about how nobody can understand your lyrics. And I think there's probably half a beat on the phone, and he's like, yeah, yeah, that sounds like a funny idea. <laughs> so that was, that was pretty much it. And he was, he was very, very cool about it. <laughs> right. <laughs> I know. And that's the, that's the thing that he threaded a needle on that song, which is, come on, he's making fun of Nirvana. And Kurt Cobain was a pretty, I mean, for all of his problems, he was an, he was an intelligent guy. I mean, he knew, you know, he was, he was, I don't know that I call him a musical genius to be honest with you, but he, he was an intelligent guy. He was a thoughtful person. And it's amazing that he had enough, you know, enough understanding to go, this is fine. I, I can be parodied this way. Even though at the end of the day, Al's kind of tearing his song apart a little bit, you know? Uh, you know which one I listened to this week? And I had not heard it in 30 years. And th that is his parody of Achy Breaky Heart, Achy Breaky Song. Don't play that song, that Achy Breaky Song, the most annoying song I know. And if you play that song, that Achy Breaky Song, I might blow up my radio. And he destroys that song. I mean, like, you know, don't play that song, that nauseating song, you know, the most annoying song I know. <laughs> you know, if you play that song, I might blow blow up my radio. And see, I mean, like, there's there's nothing about that that is the slightest bit flattering in any way, shape, or form. And apparently Billy Ray was okay. Oh, my goodness. 
All right. So I have one last point about Al's music. I have one last point. And it's a testament to what you said earlier on, a musical genius. Al should not still be doing what he's doing. What I mean to say is musical parodists, you know, musical comedy, novelty songs. These are flash in the pan kind of things, right? Like Al could have been a My Bologna, My Bologna one hit wonder, right? Like, like that's, that's how this story should have happened. And it's a testament to his genius and his musical virtuosity that he's a true comedian. Like I would call him a wordsmith. Like another, another song that I think is worth bringing up is Bob, the palindrome song. Lisa Bonet ain't no basil. Was song was wrong. Was it a car or a cat I saw? Like, like who does that? Who sits there and like says, you know what? I think I'm going to write a whole song. It's going to be all palindromes. His meticulous nature for writing, not just the music, which if you listen to his albums, like they are, they are musically meticulous. Like his band is just like, they're such a clean sounding albums. Like he knows what he's doing every moment, but then it's also the lyrics. And so like, it, it's amazing that Al throughout the many, many decades, what is it, you know, four or five decades now has been able to sustain this career. I just think he's a true, unique artistic voice and he's not just Mr. Silly guy. Right. No, and the, uh, the you bring up Bob. That that the the great thing about that is he he didn't set out to do a Bob Dylan parody. He set out to do a palindrome right. song, and then when he saw the lyrics, you know, on on his paper, it was like, well, this this sounds like almost like there's like some corner really. There, th this means nothing, but it sounds deep. He goes, this sounds like a Bob Dylan song, and then he realized, right. oh my gosh, Bob is a palindrome. <laughs> it's like yeah, Bob is. A... <laughs> it's perfect. <laughs> Now he told that story in the concert, which was great. It was a good, oh, did he? Okay, oh, cool. So yeah, yeah, it was great. I'm so glad he did that song. So glad. <laughs> well, you know, we're so glad that you joined us for this this first half of our deep dive into Weird Al, which, to be honest with you, isn't a, nearly enough of a deep dive, right? Uh, you know, like everything we do on this podcast, everything could become its own podcast. We could become the Weird Al podcast. We're not going to do that. We're not going to do that. So we're going to have part two coming up. We're going to talk about Weird, the Owl movie which has really gotten a lot of attention over the last several months so i'd love to talk with you about that but all the other appearances i've been immersing myself in weird owl the past uh, few weeks here and all the other things he's done the past few years uh so we'd love to hear from you tell us your own favorite weird owl songs and uh get back with us we, we might we might share something on the next episode we'll see you next time for part two of weird owl Thanks for listening to the Nostalgic Future Podcast. We'd love to hear from you. Drop us a line at nostalgicfuturepodcast at gmail.com. We may just read your letter on an upcoming show. Follow us on social media, Nostalgic Future Podcast on Facebook, and at Past Future Pod on Twitter. Please subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts and leave a review to help support what we do. Until next time, remember... The past is the only way forward. Da 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 da
Squeak and the tombstones quake. Spooks come out for a swing and wake. Happy haunts materialize and begin to vocalize. Grim grinning ghosts come out to socialize. Frere Jacques, Frere Jacques, Dormez vous, Dormez vous, Son Limitine, Son Limitine, Din Dan Don, Din Dan Don.